There is no doubt about it. Men eat, sleep and die for sex. If you are going to ask a man to live without sex, you might as well ask him to put a blade on his wrist and end his life. They say that most men spend many waking hours daydreaming about sex. Let's talk about sex. Hello and welcome to another episode of Modern Therapy. Today I have a special guest who was a special guest in the past always will be a special guest, my dear friend, LPC Chris. Today we're gonna to talk about mental health and relationships. Chris and I spoke about this topic in the past, but I think this is something that needs to keep on keeping on because it's still an issue, period. Especially in this day and time. I see the new variant is really impacting mental health, especially in my practice. Just the whole political climate we find ourselves in is impacting my practice. And I guess the isolation and the way we navigate this world is really impacting relationships and it impacts mental health. And it's a cycle. Mental health impacts relationships, relationships impact mental health. And we have to break out of that cycle. And many people would say, you know, utilize CBT techniques, ABC, activating event, behavior, consequence, blah, blah, blah. So we have to think about where we stand in a relationship or how we navigate the relationship in order to do better by the relationship. Chris, what's up? Hey, how are you? I'm well, I'm well. It's a beautiful day in Compton, California. Oh, in Compton? Hey. <laughs> so I'm sitting here looking at all the snow and ice that is melting and we experienced about seven inches of snow a couple of days ago. Right, so, right. Uh, right there that's in January, it's in the record. I haven't seen it in a, in a while, maybe since I was a kid. So mm -hmm. yeah, very, very icy and snowy outside. Well, we had a piece of the snow, but as soon as it hit the ground, it was just like, we're done with you. But it was yeah. pretty it was pretty coming down. It just didn't stick, so you can't make no snowballs, anything yeah. like that. I know such things, playing in the snow, walking in the snow is a beautiful reflection of a relationship I might have had in the past. North Carolina doesn't really give you that. It definitely doesn't give you that in California, so yeah. <laughs> All right, all right. Right, 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 right. So we're gonna talk about mental health and relationships today. If you had to guess, what would be your last words? For myself, in a relationship, I would wanna be a better communicator so I wouldn't even have to think about what the last words would be. But I know that I'm not the best communicator at times, but it's definitely something that I'm working on. Communication is the Achilles heel of any relationship. I mean, that's business, that's medical, that's mental health, that's, you know, your significant others and all that. If you think about it, anytime there was a breakdown, 
the likely common factor was the relationship, was the communication. Your boss not communicating to you effectively regarding what's going on with the company or about what they feel is going on with you. Your medical doctor not really giving you the full synopsis of what's going on with you or you as the client, patient, not giving him the full details about what's going on with you so they're not running the right tests. Yeah. Last words would be, I love you. Because hopefully I will be with the ones that love me and support me to my dying day. And that's what I need to start working on, building a relationship that will have that continuity, that will have that foundation, that will take me until my final days, that final chapter. <laughs> yes, I agree. Yes, all right, all right. So I think I saw a meme on Facebook that said, imagine falling in love and staying in love for the rest of your life. Mm. It's a beautiful thing. How achievable it is in this day and time, I don't know. People are selfish. People are greedy. People, you know what I'm saying? They don't communicate well. They they live in isolated bubbles and find being in a relationship not conducive to their centeredness in many ways. You know what I'm saying? Um, don't believe in the giving. Don't believe in the balance. You don't believe in whatever I can get, get, get. Moving the pendulum too far to the left or right in many cases. We got to do survival. better. Yeah, I think people are in survival mode. Uh, right. and, and don't realize it. I've seen I've seen relationships go as if the other partner is supposed to supply every part of your being, every part of you, every part that you are missing. Like they are supposed to fill that void. So right. if you without a mom or without a dad or without something that they expected the other person to fill in and be that dad or be that mom that they never had. Mm -hmm. That's a lot. That's a lot to, to to expect out of somebody for them to be your everything. Right. So right. How much? I, and I see. I've seen that a lot uh, in relationships that uh, not only again to rock and mold, and um, I I love this person, but I do know that I'm more financially secure when I'm with when I'm with this person. Um, and then I want this person to not only be financially security for me, but provide me uh, and fill in those voids that I've been looking for all of my life. Right. Yeah. And that is a lot to handle as a partner. And um, there's where the partner might feel as if the other is too heavy to carry. Uh, so that's that's something to consider, I, I guess, even with communication, but definitely when it comes to, I want this person to be everything. Yeah, yeah. So I've seen a lot of it. And talking about communication, that is something that I've been working on for at least a year. Um, I just started doing therapy in the fall of last year. Mm -hmm. That has been going well. But it, it, it was, it felt awkward at first because uh, I had been in therapy. And then I'm a therapist, that's seeing a therapist. 
And for her to ask me questions, it was like, I'm used to the one, I'm used to being the one asking questions, I'm used to being the one formulating everything and making these interventions. And then when I have her ask me a question, I'm just sitting there like, uh, uh, how do I answer that question? How do I, and then having a fear of her judging me? That part. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think Go being ahead. a client, having a therapist, being a client uh, humbles you as a therapist. <laughs> I mean, it really opens yeah. up your perspective on how your client might feel or what your client is going through. So like when I give my client homework or when I follow up on a progress goal or when they miss a session, boom, I can't have any ill feelings towards it. I can just work on strategies that I need to work on with myself because sometimes I do the same thing. I might not do my homework assigned by my therapist. I might not take my medication like I'm supposed to. I might miss a session just because I just don't feel like dealing with your shit today. I'm going through something. Knowing that, and it, you know, and when a client tells me that I'm going through something I want to meet today, I mean, boom, I'm in the same boat sometimes. Knowing that's the probably the time that you really need to be in therapy. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, yeah. Like I said earlier, I wanted to, to bounce and ghost my therapist a couple of sessions ago because number one, I was tired, and two, um. I didn't realize it until I did show up for my session um, that I was scared to show up for that session because there was so much stuff going on in between time that I met with her that I didn't want to report out <laughs> what all had happened. Because right. I was afraid that she was going to judge me. I was afraid that she, like a parent, kind of like, there's that people pleasing thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought she was going to judge me on whatever and then all of that. So I ended up showing up and it was all of my internal anxiety. That's what it was. She never presented, never did any of that, which I feared. And it actually was a huge relief to be able to go and see her that day, even though I didn't want to her. But Indeed, indeed. Therapy, therapists who get therapy are probably the best therapists. They avoid burnout. They understand your perspective. So to me, it's crucial for me to know whether or not my therapist is getting therapy, even, even as a therapist who's getting therapy. And if they balk at it, I'd be like, nah, nah, you know what I'm saying? Then I know that's not the person with me. One, because you might be judging me as a therapist who's seeking therapy. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's a Uh, 
But going back to the communication, we kind of had to dig deep on why it is. Because I feel like I'm a great communicator. I ask a lot of questions. I do. Um, I do, you know, tell people surface stuff. But when it comes to actual how I'm feeling, am I being honest? Uh, and nope, not, not, no, no, not in plain terms, I'm not being honest. So I had to learn that I was not being honest. Um, that I felt in a relationship, in my past relationships, that I could not be, I couldn't be honest. Um, because it, it really wasn't, it really wasn't, I guess, the best relationship to, to be in, I, to say the least. Um, to be honest, uh, but at the same time, I still took things away from my own self because I wasn't expressing things that I wanted and my desires in the future and all of that. And then recognizing red flags, not saying they were red flags, keep going along with it. So, <laughs> learning a lot in 2021, 20, 2022. Indeed, indeed. What are the biggest lessons you have learned from previous relationships? I'll let you go first. The biggest relationship lessons I might have learned from a relationship or relationship as a whole would be to well, I'll just go back to the first premise. Communication. Be a better communicator. You know what I'm saying? Be more open, you know what I'm saying? Be okay with expressing your fears, expressing your your doubts, expressing what's going on with you. Instead of bottling it in and keeping it, they're not understanding what's going on with you. So when you distance yourself or you withdraw, you know, they might just thinking that you're just being, you know, antisocial or not really into the relationship, not knowing that you might be going through something. Share your experiences, share what's going on with you, you know. So, yeah, really, the biggest lesson I learned is be a better communicator, be more open, be more honest. But I think, in the same essence, you have to be okay with being that person to be able to do that. You have to have a relationship in which you feel safe to do that and do that adequately. And sometimes that's not the case. But if that is the case, you have to zoom out. Is that the relationship for me? Or is the relationship where it's supposed to be in order for me to be able to do that? Because people are really, like my people say, judgy. You know what I'm saying? So they judge you based on what's going on with you. So they might have the same stuff going on with them, but they're not going to admit it. They're not going to talk about it. Communication. The biggest lesson I learned was be a better communicator. Communicate more effectively. lesson of my past previous relationships and uh it has been 
there's certain things that you know that you're doing and then there's other times where you don't really realize what you're doing and my therapist asked me a question and she was like oh how are you with this person and I said oh well my personality is like this and she said well do you have to be like that <laughs> and I looked at her and I was like mm, no and I'm telling you it it just kind of like changed my whole perspective on what I was doing my behavior I dropped some things that week. I was mad that week because um, I had to change my behavior. And I was exhausted after changing my behavior. And then I prayed on it. And then that next, uh, by the time I saw her again, I was rejuvenated, energetic, all of that stuff. So yeah, know your word. Indeed, indeed. That's important. I think a lot of times, and that even goes back to the, you know, my part, my what I was saying about communication. If you're not knowing your work, you may not feel adequately internally motivated to communicate. <laughs> because you're not knowing your work, you're feeling less than, you feel like, oh, they, I, they might not love me the same. They might not treat me the same. They may not want to be with me anymore. So that's, I think those two speak to each other. Yeah, yeah. And it translates over for me. It translated over to my work, my actual work, that I was letting someone kind of run the show and not and not saying, hey, hold on, pump your brakes. That, that doesn't sound right. Hold on, wait a minute. Um, I was just kind of letting them run and end up letting, letting almost running, running it down to the ground. So um, I have been coached not only but through therapy, but people who are wise and also in the therapy world of how to approach someone, even if it is someone in a higher up or, you know, it's a colleague or something of that nature, how to approach them and communicate your needs to them and communicate, hey, what your vision is for the future. Because... Um, if you have the space to communicate that and people listen to you, then go ahead and do it. Even if you feel like you don't have the space, go ahead and do it. Say what you need to say uh, and mean what you say. Uh, but it, it, it does translate to my work. And I feel like they both have to feel that balance between work and, and in intimate relationships. They both need communication they both need for me to know what my worth is and what my talent is and what i bring into this space and if people don't um respect that work relationships then it is time for you to um really speak up or move on indeed indeed great point thank you for bringing that perspective to the table I think more people need to really hear that and relate because they can relate to that. Just don't know, you know, you have options or you can activate options for yourself in regards to being better, not only for self, but in the relationship. What does your I love you mean?
I believe for I'll just go ahead, you know, as you have that extended pause. My my I love you is accept me for who I am, but help me to grow to be better. My I love you is I'm really keen on reciprocation. You know what I'm saying? I don't like to take, 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 take stuff. I don't like to give me, give me, give me, give me stuff. I like a, a balance of, you know, give and take regarding emotional energy, love energy, and things like that. And, you know, and adherence to, you know, my love language, or at least an understanding of my love language, you know, is very important to me. My I love you is, uh, I love you and accept you as you are, but would want you and would love to promote you and support you in your growth, in your evolution as a person, as a spiritual being in this world that is temporary, but can be so impactful regarding the forever. about the I love you um, is more than the emotions. It's it's me um, showing you that you are important to me. Um, and how I show you that you are important to me is I create kind of like our world and what that looks like. And I ask you all the things that you like. Um, the things that make you feel love, like your love language. I ask for things like your personality. Um, what is that? Can we take a personality quiz so I can see what your strengths are, what, what your weaknesses are? I want to know those things so that um, I'm knowledgeable of who you are as a person. Um, your decision-making skills, all those things so I can support you. Uh, so I think it's like I, I'm, I'm a creative person, so I want to be able to create and give you, um, give you me and give you my time, my attention, and then also learning you uh, as much as I can. So that's how I, I say I love you um, more than just saying I love you um, and more just being emotional and affectionate and things like that. But it's more like creating our world and what you like in this world. Indeed. What does happiness look like for you? What does happiness look like for you? I have a backstory to this one. When I was married, and then was on the getting divorced. One of the key things she said was, I thought you would make me happy forever. And I told her, happiness is within. And I'm sorry that you thought that this was a fairy tale in which you would be happy 24 seven. As in the world that I live in, that is not a reality. And it hurt me to hear her say that she was divorced because she wasn't happy. Not understanding that she had to figure out ways to make herself happy. We actually spoke about this recently. And when she said she wished she really she wished she would have realized that she couldn't look for me to make her happy because she sees that I'm a better person. She sees I'm a good person. But that she was looking at that formula 
that this couldn't manifest a 24-7 thing. There's not enough serotonin in the body, you know what I'm saying, to make that happen. <laughs> what happiness looks like for me is just being healthy mentally, spiritually, and physically. Accomplishing my goals that I set for myself. Being loved and loving. And just being able to be better and to be what I would want to receive and to find that support from others in doing so. I want to be the change that I would want to see. That's what makes me happy. What makes me happy is if I'm in a grocery store or if I'm in a city that I used to work in or if I'm not in the city I used to work in and I happen to come across one of my clients and they walk up to me and they be like, thank you for everything you've done to me. Like I don't know, or I might've even only met with them one time, like for a mobile crisis or something. And I'm saying, you saved my life. You say this, and sometimes I can see their face, but I can't remember the incident nor their name. And it's just to hear those things that I made that impact with them or that I helped them because I genuinely want to help people. I genuinely want to be that helping agent. And hearing those really, really make me happy. Because in many ways, many instances, I'm not even really supposed to be here, but I guess I'm supposed to be here. My heavy gang my heavy gang background, my drug use, you know, was in the past, my shoot when I was nearly murdered, you know, and in a coma for six months. Am I really supposed to be here? Well, obviously I am, but honestly, so many incidents would have made it so I wouldn't be able to be here. And I'm just happy that I'm able to give back. That's what makes me happy. Yeah. Yeah. That's a that's a good testimony right there too at the very end. It's really good. I think um, I think happiness is very temporary. Um, it's fleeting. I think what I have for the most part is just inner joy. Um, because joy last longer and it comes from just you knowing who you are you knowing how far you've come whether that's in your own life and then generations before you just knowing how far you've come and it doesn't matter how things are going so right now I'm getting a really extensive part put on my car uh, so it's a lot of money and um, although I know I'm paying on this car and I don't want to, I still have joy that I can I can pay for it, you know, um, and that everything's okay, that I can get another vehicle to, to drive, you know. So my my dad let me borrow his truck, um, but I think for me it's joy, um, inner joy, and knowing that we've come so far. I know in my generation, I've come so far. Um, we know that we've had people die in our lives that were young. So I think um, it's great uh, gratefulness of being here and doing what we do on a regular basis, helping other people, talking to other people. Uh, I get the greatest joy in when people smile around me and feel comfortable around me, and because I know what that I know what that's like when 
you feel uncomfortable in your surroundings because I used to be very shy as a kid. I was very quiet, very shy, but now I'm not in my adult adulthood. But I know um, that gives me joy just having people around me uh, that are happy, um, that are smiling around me, that are comfortable. Um, so that's what it looks like for me. And traveling, being with family, good health. What is the worst piece of advice? <laughs> Sorry, I had to just tripped up. What is the worst piece of advice you have ever been given? The worst piece of advice. Mm. <laughs> Mine has something to do with student loans. <laughs> Mine was like, oh, you better get them student loans or whatever, because that's the, you know, whatever that debt and and honey. I should not have borrowed more than I needed back then. You know what I mean? Um, that was the worst piece, I think, of advice I've ever gotten about student loans. Um, uh, and money in general. I don't know if I've ever gotten really bad uh, advice when it comes to relationships, though. But mine has been more financial. The worst piece of advice that I've ever been given Pretty much had to do with my career choice. When I was in school, I was going to school. My, um, I first went to technical school after I entered the field of human services and got my um, technical degree in public service. And then I transferred to a school called um, Springfield College for um, human services. Um, at Springfield, my advisor said, you know, either go on to get my human services degree, a master's in human services. I'll go get my counseling degree. I told him, what about social work at UNC, at USC? Because, you know, that was a public school and it'd been a lot cheaper. And they were like, nah, nah, you don't want to be a social worker working at DSS or anything. And I was like, okay. So I took their advice. I went to uh, Webster University and got my degree in clinical mental health counseling. Now, as much as I love my degree and it is working for me, I've learned later that I should have been an LCSW. Or license, I should have got my degree in social work because I would have had more flexibility regarding my career, could have worked in more businesses or agencies, state, federal, everything, if um, more readily, if I had, was a licensed clinical social worker. Um, and I still, I have, I can move great, you know, with the degree I have and doing the things I do, but I can just move so much better if I was at LCSW because they have the social work board as the biggest lobbying board ever. They just make moves that nobody else can make. And I find it sad that sometimes I work with a client for let's say four or five years or whatever through different services like community support team or outpatient therapy. Then they get to a point where they don't have Medicaid no more. Now they're getting Medicare and I can't serve them anymore because they have Medicare. Only a licensed clinical social worker can work with them at that point. And those, those any of those relationships on those terms is really sad to me as it is to them. Sometimes they still call me or whatever, I call the office. Felipe, can I work back with you? This ain't working for me, blah, blah, blah. You know what I'm saying? Because in essence, counselors are probably really better therapists than social workers. But social workers can do more than therapists. Yeah, yeah. Administratively, they can. Uh, and then, yeah, and more clinical, they, they can over a long term. So, yes, you're so right. Um, I didn't know much about social work uh, growing up. So what I did 
what I did know about social work is, I don't know if you've ever seen the, uh, the, the show Judging Amy back in the day. Judging Amy was a judge and then her mom was a social worker. And her mom, the whole show always was on 10, like her energy was on 10 or she was worn out because she was working for social or child protective services, I think. And she had this little desk around all these people trying to figure out these homes for all these kids. And, you know, she had paperwork stacked up and she had her little backpack or whatever. And she was living in the same house with her daughter. So I was like, no, I don't want to be a social worker because that's not what I want to do. Uh, end up doing that anyway in a different route um, and was still was doing counseling. So I didn't know a lot about it until uh, I got a little bit older in the field, right when I was getting licensed um, as a professional counselor. That's when I started to know more about um, LCSWs. Had no clue, no clue. I just thought, hey, we're, we're the same, but just different ink on our papers, but mm -mm. LPCs, we're not as uh, we're not as formal. Um, I'm an LPC MHSP in Tennessee. That does not translate as the same thing in other states uh, like social workers do. So it is it is somewhat hard to navigate. What is the best piece of advice you have ever been given? The best piece. Of I'll let you go first. I've gotten a lot of good advice in my life, but I think one that really sticks out is um, when I was in high school, I um, experienced the loss of my, of my brother in high school and um, had a really hard time with school, basically. Um, taking tests, had a hard time, math, had a hard time. So I was a solid C student. And I remember taking my um, ACT and took it three, three times and thinking, okay, I can make this amount. I can keep trying, keep trying. So at first I made a 17 and then I took it again, I made an 18 and then I took it again, I made a 19. And I was talking to my English teacher and I said, I made a 19. I want to go to University of Memphis for undergrad. That's the only place I want to go. I didn't want to go nowhere else. And she looked at me and she was like, hey, don't take the ACT no more. Take your 19, apply to University of Memphis. They'll take you with a 19. And I felt like, Okay, because everybody else I knew were making 22, uh, third, they was making high ACT scores, and I just wasn't there. And she was like, just don't take it anymore. And she was right. I applied for University of Memphis, and I got in. They took me. Now, I did have to take a couple of classes of remedial math when I got to college, but I graduated. <laughs> Went there and graduated. So I think that was one of the best things. She kind of gave me hope, hope and faith because I didn't want to go anywhere else. For me, the best piece of advice I received was very recently 
I was having a lot of anxiety, a lot of, a lot of anxiety as of late, having a lot of stress, just based on really my way of thinking, imposter syndrome, self-doubt, feeling that I can't be more, or I can't do more, or I'm spent, I'm done. Basically, I was approaching burnout, to be honest. And the best piece of advice I received was one word, actually, breathe. Simply breathe and let it be, and let it, what will be, will be. And when I breathe, took a deep breath, a, a breath I've never taken before in my whole life, where my whole chest and belly exploded with air. <laughs> and I let it out, filling the room with the perfume of honeydew. Cause you know, I'm so internally beautiful inside. <laughs> and when I, and I let go and I let go, basically breathing out, I was letting go. And I walked, I recently um, took an exam for my next chapter in my mental health career. And by doing that and letting go and just letting all that stress off of me and just going with the flow, boom. Everything just came naturally, boom. Everything just clicked. It was no stress. And it was like, even if I felt it was wrong, it was just no stress, like it's whatever, you know what I'm saying? What will be, will be. If it's for me, it's for me. If it's not, it's not. The universe manifests what it wants itself to be anyway. It is what it is. Breathe. And that was the best advice I got because I was like a little ball of angst, a little ball of anxiety. It was so disgusting. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. My stomach was choked up. I was mean and irritable. I was just a hot, hot mess. But when that person put their hand on my shoulder and said, motherfucking Nino Black, you know, that's my alias. <laughs> breathe, motherfucker. Breathe. Just stop. Stop that shit. Breathe. Motherfucker, breathe. Breathe. <laughs> and when I breathe, and I took that deep breath and I let it out, and I said, you're right. And I went into that test. I went into that exam. And I did the damn thing. You know, with the help of my prayer support <laughs> soldiers and you know well wishes of others because energy is everything and i did it and i passed the exam and i got through one of the biggest mental hurdles that i probably ever experienced in my entire life and now nothing will hold me back situations cause a lot of stress for you over the years and how did that affect you? How much time we got left? <laughs> we don't really have a... Right? <laughs> <laughs> our show was, show was kind of weird. We got five minute shows, we got hour and a half, two hour yeah. shows. Girl, <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> hoops and so much money to take test after test 
um, to at, apply for the licensure to um, the jobs that we have had in the past and some of us still in the present, which um, <laughs> don't know how to uh, handle good, good workers. Uh, we've worked on grants before that didn't last. We have been moved jobs because of grants. Um, dealt with nonprofit racism, just all of that stuff. In the um, since I've been in this field since 2005, and then I started grad school in 20 uh, 2008. Graduated in 2011, not knowing that for for a master's level counselor to to really succeed in this field that you are going to have to need to get licensed. And I had no clue until um, I was after graduate school and working with other clinicians in a different state and noticing that I needed to know more information and know more, um, know more interventions, especially dealing with the ch children population. But it took me from, I really started with my licensure. It took me, oh shoot, 10, almost 10 years, nine years really to get done with supervision and all of that stuff. You know, life happened and, and um, I didn't want to get licensed for, for a while and I moved states and um, took tests and then sometimes if you're in the state of Tennessee the board is very slow getting back with you if you have questions everything's clear as mud um it, it just was a lot of stress it was a lot um I, if you are LCSW um you take one one big test one big clinical test but if you are LPC you take or LPC MHSP in Tennessee you take three tests um, and those cost, again, cost a lot of money, like $275 per pop. Now, if you take it one and done, you're good. Now, the second test I took twice. So just imagine money and the prep work that, that it takes and all of that. So I think this area of work has been the hardest. And I, I told somebody I could be an MD by now. I really could have gone to medical school and then... Um, a pediatrician or anesthesiologist or something, podiatrist or something by now. That's you. I think you're on mute. <laughs> Are you still on mute? Because I can't hear you. For oh. myself. Let me try to embarrass me <laughs> for myself. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, yeah, probably something similar. I would say that the journey of becoming a mental health therapist, being a mental health therapist, being an addiction therapist has been very daunting, blocked in many ways by the powers that be. You know, supervisors not supervising appropriately. Supervisors complicating your journey to licensure. Agencies complicating your, your journey to licensure. Having you or wanting you to do things that go against the ethical board 
in order to make productivity or in order to create the revenue for that job. Um, that's what I would say. That's pursuing life or working in mental health, but still having to navigate working with agencies that aren't necessarily adhering to their mission statement or doing what they're supposed to be doing regarding the helping field to yeah. the best of their ability. Yeah. Basically putting profit over people, not prop, not appropriately supporting their clinicians, giving them the support they need in order for them to be well, in order to be well enough to serve the clients that they're serving. I would say, yeah, that's what I would say. And what are you most grateful for right now in this moment? Right now, in this moment. Uh, oh gosh, the way my brain, you, it, it means one thing. I'm grateful for so many things right now. Uh, yeah, it's supposed for all warmth and housing. Uh, so cold outside. But um, I would say new beginnings. I'm so grateful for that right right now. Uh, this has been the best three weeks. Not to say there's not been anything happening that's challenging, but this has been the best three weeks that I've had in a long, long time. Uh, only because, I, like you said, um, letting go of control of some things. Um, and also looking forward to, uh, my part-time private practice, looking forward to some things on my, um, my day job. Um, my parents are healthy. I'm healthy. So I, the new beginnings is just, I love this world. So yeah, that's what I'm grateful for. How about you? I'm grateful for passing that exam so I can move on to the next chapter of my life. But the thing that I'm most grateful for is the love and support I get from others. I believe without my village <clears throat> that adheres closely to the concept of Ubuntu, I am because we are. I think I don't even think I would be here today. I'm very grateful to my, my village, to my circle of friends and family who love and support me, who give me that push when I need it who scorn me when I need to be scorned and who are always there for me regardless of the storm. I'm very thankful. That's my friend Aquanda, my friend Marlena, my friend Robin, you know what I'm saying? My friend Andre, my friend Abria, my, uh, my ex-wife, Lorenda, my son, Corey, my daughter, Kaori, my daughter, Kennedy, you know, you know, you, you know what I'm saying? multiple multiple people that i'm thankful for in my village and extended village regarding the support and love i get that contribute to me being well because honestly without that village i don't think i can make it through many of these storms that i have to make it through indeed but thank you for being a guest on water therapy water therapy podcast once again please you know tell Keep telling people about your podcast and your movement and what's next for LPC Chris. Yeah, yeah. So again, I'm LPC Chris and I have two podcasts. I have hashtag Get Naked Therapist 
and I will <laughs> be coming up with my fourth season coming up in February of this year. So I'm excited about that. So I do have other therapists and helping professionals such as this one I'm looking at right now. So um, he will be a guest on mine for season four. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so um, I have other therapists and health professionals on that one talking about all the things that we did not learn in school. So, which is a lot of us didn't learn a lot of things, especially about building private practice, especially about communicating, connecting with other therapists. Hey, we are not in competition with each other. Most of us are very isolated um, in our practices. Even if you are still working in community mental health, there's still some things that, you know, we just don't know. Um, so it's always good to collaborate. It's always good to talk to other therapists and health professionals, whether you are LCSW or you have your master's in mental health counseling. Same thing, we love each other. We do what we do for our clients. Um, uh, and then we also talk about our lives as well. We talk about um, some of the things that we need to do in order to be the best therapist and put your face, your best face forward. Uh, so that's Get Naked Therapist. And then I also have a um, podcast for Surviving Sibling Loss. So that's exactly what it's called. Surviving Sibling Loss, the Forgotten Mourners podcast. And that one is something that I put out every month just about every month uh, episode. So I talked to other siblings and I have also talked to Felipe, Mr. Blue, um, uh, about his sibling as well. So I do have that podcast and, and I have a group on Facebook and that is um, uh, Surviving Sibling Loss, the podcast on Facebook. So you can reach out and then see me there. Uh, just launched my private um, practice here in Nashville uh, back in November. Oh, it's a lot of work, but I'm excited about it. But mainly my niche is working with people who are in grief and loss. Um, so I'm learning a lot more information about traumatic grief and what that means, even though I, I am a survivor, again, of sibling loss. But it's a lot more information that I'm learning um, in order to adequately help the clients that I see. So it's been very eye-opening, very fulfilling. So that's what I'm working on for 2022 to do some more uh, private practice work and podcasting. So that is me. Indeed, indeed. Well, that concludes another episode of More Than Therapy Podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Mortal Therapy Podcast, available on all streaming services. Be well, great. Remember, communication is the key to any successful relationship, no matter what type of relationship. So communicate effectively. If you want more information regarding getting help, regarding any issue that you're dealing with, at least the access to resources or get information regarding resources, go to www.mortaltherapy.org. Be well, be great.